I'll take Constitution for 100. Only one man died during the losing Clark expedition. Lincoln created the Secret Service hours before his assassination. Martin Luther King and Malcolm X only met once. So this one's on about Paul Revere. Two truths and a myth. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Social Discord, episode 25, The Persistent American Myths, Two Truths and a Lie. I'm your host, Dalen Turk. And I'm Curtis Medina. And if you're a uh, longtime listener, maybe a listener of the past few episodes, whatever it may be, you will notice that Kara is not here today. Kara Tebow, she's one of our co-hosts. She cannot join us. She's taking care of some things so that she can eventually get married here in a couple months. So that's very exciting, and we're happy for her. So uh, we decided to do a couple fill-in episodes while she is out of the way, plus coming off a super heavy hitter series with Police in America. I don't know about y'all, but I'm very excited to have kind of a low-key episode right now. <laughs> I know I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, the last few episodes were stressful. I was, <laughs> we need a fun one. <laughs> I was thinking about it when we were doing the research for this episode, and I was like, you know, going into recording day, I'm like, man, like there's always kind of a level of anxiety and nervousness because it's so much information yeah. and we know it's going to be a long episode. We know we're just diving so deep and it's so much that we're trying to get right. And it's really stressful. And going yeah. into this one, I was like, this is going to be fun. This is going to yeah. be enjoyable. <laughs> Not well, that I- the way I usually look at like some of the other episodes is, is I always want it to be like a definitive guide to it. You know, like, like I didn't just want to, you know, kind of just passively cover it or something. Um, I wanted to like really, like you said, dive deep into it. And so the, the pressure comes with like, did we really cover it all? Or yeah. are we missing something big that, that, you know, later on we're going to kick ourselves we didn't include. So yeah, so with this, this is kind of like an, a, a kind of a, a ongoing list that will never be complete. And so that it's a lot easier to to, to do it because we don't have to worry that we're forgetting something. Like yes. we're, we're forgetting 90% of all these things probably, but this is the, this is what we have. Yeah. It's a little, a little <laughs> bit of a palate cleanser. And maybe this could even be something we kind of come back to yeah. in the future and, but is doing this kind of two truths and a lie type thing where we get a little more interactive, create a game and break it up a little bit in between. So maybe this can be kind of a recurring episode. I, I think that'd be, this is time. our, this is our version of like stupid pet tricks. <laughs> exactly right. We're just going to do it when the guest doesn't show up. <laughs> Are you not entertained? <laughs> but as I said in the intro, uh, this episode is uh, episode 25, the persistent American myths, two truths and a lie. So we're going to be playing. If I'm sure some of you know the game, two truths, a lie, where you say two, tr- you say three things, two of them are true. One's a lie. Figure out which one's a lie. Um, but yeah, we're do- neither of us know yeah. each other's list, so, by the way. So we're not looking at the same notes. Nope. So we we don't know what we came up with. Um, and so we're doing this specifically about kind of American myths, things that have lived on through history that everyone kind of believes, but have been debunked over the years or, you know, along those lines. Um, and I know Curtis and I, uh, we went kind of different formats on this. Um, and we really didn't talk at all about no. <laughs> we are structuring this episode until right before we started recording. Real loose going on this week. Real loose. <laughs> but it's going to be fun. It's not going to be a two hour and 50 minute episode by any means. Um, but, you know, we'll see where it takes us. I think it's going to be nice and fun and hopefully 
you know, I know I learned something. I tested some of mine on some of my coworkers today and I stumped oh, them. Really? And so I'm I'm curious to see if I can get you on some of these. Oh, I bet you will. Like I feel like 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 you know me well enough that you probably like like purposely found things that like I would have I never known in a million years. <laughs> well, the whole time I'm like searching, I'm like trying to think in my mind. I'm like, one, like what's the way to word this? And two, is Curtis just gonna know this? Yeah. So Okay, um, I guess without further ado, are you ready to uh, jump into it? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So why don't you go ahead and start with your first one? Okay, and I am going to start with the one that I think you're probably going to get, um, but it, it doesn't matter because this one is my like favorite myth that that I, I want to put out into the world to stop believing in. So, okay. Um, okay. So it all has to do um, that all three categories have to do with Christopher Columbus um, and the holiday of Columbus Day. Um, so so here are your three choices. OK, number one, um, the ships weren't actually named the Nina and the Pinta. Number two, the Santa Maria wrecked on Columbus's historic voyage, or number three, Columbus didn't actually discover the U.S. <laughs> I, I was waiting to be like, what is he getting at here? <laughs> um, I'm going to go ahead and go with uh, Christopher Columbus did not really discover what is now modern day the United States of America. Ding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is so that is the myth and it is everywhere um mm -hmm. recently like i see just a few months ago well, actually it might have been last year actually i think it was on columbus day um i heard on the radio as i was traveling through um i think it was middle america um them saying you know happy columbus day everyone and mm -hmm. you know that you know as you know as everyone knows columbus discovered america and we're very grateful blah 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 like i mean it was it was the most like cliche like like just right out of a of a school book mm -hmm. uh, the way that they put it and i remember thinking when i heard that on the radio with this person of authority i remember thinking wait i thought i heard he didn't actually do that like is there disagreement <laughs> <You know? laughs> this is not general knowledge yeah it's it's that um it's that thing that happens sometimes where you know like you hear a fact and you're like, I thought we were way over this. Like, mm -hmm. you know, and it's just because it just keeps coming back. So uh, what happened? Uh, okay. So this is from the Washington times. Um, Kids in school have long been taught that when Columbus set sail in 1492 to find a new route to the West, to the East Indies, it, that he would, that he actually was afraid that he would fall off the edge of the earth. So that that is a like a separate myth that is included in this. That is totally not true. Um, Flat Earth people, yeah, people already knew as early as the sixth century BC. Um, uh, later followed by Aristotle and Euclid. Euclid. I don't know how to say that. <laughs> Do you know how to say that? E E U C L I D. Euclid. 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 I think it's Euclid. Uh, okay. Um, followed by Aristotle and Euclid, 
Um, they wrote about the earth being a sphere and historians say that there's no doubt that an educated person such as Columbus um, wouldn't have known the earth was round. However, what they didn't know was how big the oceans were. Um, so uh, it was a lot of uh, setting sail without really totally knowing how long you'd be mm-hmm. on, on, you know, on the, the mission or where exactly you would go. When, at one point, you would end up back where you started. They didn't exactly know what that was, but they knew it wasn't it wasn't flat. Um, he definitely did not disprove anything about that. It was well known by that point. Um, and um, during four separate trips that started uh, with, with the one in 1492, Columbus did land on various Caribbean islands that are now the Bahamas, mm-hmm. um, as well as an island that was later called, again, I'm going to mess this up, Hispaniola. Hispaniola, yep. Uh, he also explored Central and South American coasts, but he did not ever reach North America, which, of course, was already inhabited by Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I, I've known for a while, and this this used to, I think, piss um, Native Americans off, and they, I think they've just come to accept it at this point, um, is that the reason we call them Indians is because he thought they were from India. Right. Um, so, so basically any brown people in this region, like was originally, uh, confused with Indians. And so that's like meaning from India. And so that's actually why we call them that, which it's the whole naming of that whole people is, is incorrect. Um, I wonder when, maybe, you know, do you know when like native American started being used? I don't, I don't know that. I'm Um, I'm not sure. I would guess politically, if I was just going to guess, like based on the, the kind of the winds blowing of, of politics, I would guess that that is a thing from like the 1900s. Um, I'm guessing even like 1950s, something like that. I was going to say, it's got to be later. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, in the old Western shows and stuff, they're never like, you know, we're going to go get us some Native Americans, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I feel like at some point it would have been mentioned um, had there been that term, even if it, mm-hmm. even if they use Indians more often or something. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and I know there were also a lot of term like overarching terms that they refer to, like, I believe Apache wasn't necessarily a specific tribe. But mm-hmm. it, it was kind of a word that encompassed like a wide range of tribes in a region. Um, I believe so. I I think Apache is the term that uh, means that. But um, yeah, I don't know. Well, and and uh, the other proof that that Columbus not only what didn't ever set foot on North America, but did not at all discover the area. Um, was uh, it was also believed that a Norse explorer, um, mm. Leif Erikson, Leif Erikson Day, <laughs> reached Canada uh, about 500 years before Columbus was born. Um, That's so again crazy. Before he, 500 years before he was born, yeah. Like, because I'm pretty sure they found close. <laughs> they found like Viking artifacts in like Newfoundland, right? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm, about that. I'm pretty sure they did. Um, there was a good quote yeah. here um, from a Native American person that was quoted in this article. 
Um, this, actually, and the, yeah, I think this was the Washington Times one, because I'm also quoting a little bit from a Harvard paper. Um, but this quote says, for Native people in the U.S., Columbus Day represents a celebration of genocide and dispossession. Mm-hmm. The irony is that Columbus didn't discover anything. Not only was he lost, thinking he had landed in India, but there is significant evidence of transoceanic contact prior to 1492. The day celebrates a fictionalized and sanitized version of colonialism, whitewashing generations of brutality that many Europeans brought to these shores. Now, you know, like, so, so not only is it wrong that we, and we're, we're sure that it's wrong, it's a total myth, but it also manages to completely push out the real truth that Native Americans were here and had a huge presence already, mm-hmm. you know, hundreds of years before this. So, you know, so this idea of like discovering a land that was already discovered, that was already inhabited. Yeah, when there's people that are like, racist. like, no, we've been here yeah. for a long time, very long time. I mean, do you understand like the the mentality of people still celebrating Columbus Day? I, I don't really get it. Like, is there I, something that I'm missing? I people just stick to things. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I and here's my thing: is it's it's always like you don't, if it doesn't bother you, if it doesn't affect you, then like you're not going to make the change. And so a lot of people who are like, well, no, it's Chris, you know, it's Christopher Columbus day. Why are we, we haven't changed it in so long. It's always been like that. Well, <laughs> that's because you've never cared about what he did, uh-huh. you know, um, where it's, if you flip the table and it's like, oh, well, you're ignoring an you know, entire civilization, civilization of peoples, then maybe they would care, but well, and it was originally put in place to actually celebrate Italian heritage. Um, the first Columbus Day celebration recorded in the United States was it was in New York on October 12th, 1792, held to honor Italian-American heritage. Uh, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt in 1937 proclaimed October 12th uh, to be Columbus Day, a national holiday. And in 1971, the holiday date was changed to the second Monday in October. So we have a holiday that's meant to celebrate italian heritage <laughs> i guess so <laughs> i mean and you know like like I, you know i hate sometimes like like you know when you hear a myth and it ruins like something that you held dear to your heart like i get you don't want to let it go if you're an italian american for example and mm-hmm. you grew up thinking this was just the coolest thing and someone tells you it's not true like i get you could be heartbroken by it but at the same time you know like it doesn't mean just because this isn't true doesn't mean that that you know you shouldn't be proud of being Italian, or that maybe Columbus was an interesting guy, or even a cool guy, or something. If you think you know that's cool when he did, <laughs> um, but you know, but let's just say a cool guy as far as he explored things. I'll yeah. just stop right with that. But um, you know, but that's fine. But but like to ignore the truth is just this like willful ignorance that that well, leads and to stupidity. There's I, I I find a common theme throughout this where it's the the narrative that is pushed by people who are often against it is, you know, it's similar with the, like the taking down of the Confederate statues and, you know, something along those lines of, you know, you're, you can't change history. You're not, it's like, well, no, we're not like history is history. History is in the books. History cannot be changed. History has happened. The, the difference, what happened can't be changed, but our understanding of it can. So what I'm getting at though is, 
what's in your history books, if we find evidence proving, hey, that's not accurate, that's not changing history. That's just getting history correct. Right. You know, like we we find out, oh, Christopher Columbus didn't actually come to America. Christopher Columbus also like killed a ton of people and did awful things like that's not changing history. That's just saying, hey, like what we thought before was wrong. This is what it actually was. Right. And this one is one of the easiest ones for me because, you know, like, like I understand that there is some controversy over taking a statue down or like there was a there's, you know, a few different schools that were named after um, like not even just I mean, like Lincoln or something. And yeah. they, they decided like to change it because there was, a, you know, there are some negative aspects of Lincoln, um, you know, so I understand sort of like a little bit of that controversy there. But like here, like the guy didn't do it. <laughs> the guy, we're, the thing we're celebrating. <laughs> it's just not true. Yeah. I mean, this one's kind of a slam dunk, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, different states, different cities have, have done different things with the day. Uh, Berkeley, California replaced Columbus Day with Indigenous Peoples Day in 1992 um, in 89. Wow. I didn't realize yeah. that was that long ago. Yeah. No, I mean, wow. we've known about it. It's it was discoverable this whole time, like, you know, like pe different, like as people are learning about it, they're sort of changing it, but it's just not getting out there quickly. Right. Um, in 1989, South Dakota started calling the holiday Native Native American Day. Uh, Alabama ce celebrates a combination of Columbus Day and American Indian Heritage Day and Hawaii calls it Discovery Day. Um, hmm. So so it is changing, but very slowly. And is it? federally people still believe it federally is it indigenous people's day now yeah, I this think article it, didn't say that but i kind of remember i think it is i think it's both i believe they haven't taken columbus off of it but i think they they sort of just added it like unofficially like, there, like there's a way to do it officially where you don't actually like close banks or something right like you know like it's in this case it might be on the same day so they don't wouldn't hmm. need to do anything different um you know because there's like national secretary day and stuff like that you know like like there's there's a day for everything and yeah yet we don't always get the day off right did you have any facts for your uh your tr any stats or anything for your true facts i think i do let me go back down to it um yeah so the nina and pinta were definitely not the actual names um of, of two of columbus's three ships uh the quote here is in 15th century spain ships were traditionally named after saints Salty sailors, however, bestowed less than sacred nicknames upon their vessels. Mariners dubbed one of the three ships on Columbus's 1492 voyages the Pinta, Spanish for the painted one or prostitute, the Santa, oh. Cl the, the Santa Cl Clara, um, meanwhile, was nicknamed the Nina in honor of its owner, Juan Nino. Um, although the Santa Maria is called by its official name, its nickname was La, la, I'm gonna mess this up. La Galiga, um, after the province of Galicia in which it was built, and then the other one um, about the, the the Santa Maria being wrecked on Columbus's historic voyage. This is actually really dark. Um, so on Christmas Eve, like this could be a horror movie. I I, I need to look into this more because this actually is scary as crap. Um, it says on Christmas Eve of 1492, a cabin boy ran Columbus's flagship into a coral reef on the northern coast of Hispaniola near present-day Cap Haitian, Haiti. Its crew spent a very unmerry Christmas sal salvaging the Santa Maria's cargo, but when Columbus returned to Spain aboard the Nina, 
uh, he had he had he had to leave forty crew members behind to start the first European settlement in the Americas, La Navidad. When Columbus returned to the settlement in the fall of fourteen ninety three, none of his crew was found alive. Oh man! Yeah, what happened so, on the island? <laughs> it's going to be the next Lost Colony story, right? Oh yeah, it's the next Roanoke, right? <laughs> All Could right, you... let's get to let's get to your first one. Okay, so the way I did mine, um, so I broke mine down into categories. Um, so the first one is uh, Constitution. I'll take Constitution for one hundred. <laughs> so here are my three statements. The Bill of Rights originally consisted of seventeen amendments when presented by James Madison. Number two. The separation of church and state is not in the Constitution. And number three, the Constitution gives the Supreme Court the power to declare laws unconstitutional. Hmm. I'm pretty sure the Supreme Court one is true. Uh, I think that's most of their job. Um, The... First one was the 17 Amendments. That's one of those weird enough ones to be true. What was the second one again? The second one is the separation of church and state is not in the Constitution. Let's see. So. I guess it just says that you protect religion, not necessarily that it's separate from government. I'm going to say it's the second one is the is the myth. Oh, 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 excuse me. So you're saying it is not in the Constitution. So the myth would be that it is. So the separation of church and state is not in the Constitution. That's the myth that we're, we're saying that would be they're saying that would be untrue. Oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> you're really thinking about this. Let me the Bill of Rights. Okay, so I'm gonna say the okay. first one is is the incorrect one because because the separation of church and state I don't think is in the Constitution. It's just implied. So I'm gonna say the first one's a myth. You are incorrect. Oh no! So the Bill of Rights originally consisted of 17 amendments when presented by James Madison. So. When they had the Constitutional Convention, three delegates uh, were, namely George Mason, didn't sign the Constitution due to its lack of Bill of Rights. Uh, James Madison was a strong opponent to the Bill of Rights. Um, He thought it was unnecessary. Um, It said, and this is from archives.gov, the government couldn't only exert the powers specified by the Constitution. Um, And so he didn't think amendments would be, I guess you'd be able to enforce them. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But... Uh, ratification was like it was kind of doomed unless he had the Bill of Rights. So then he started really pushing it. Um, but as it kind of became more prevalent, uh, Madison became uh, he actually grew to appreciate uh, the voters passion for the protections that the amendments provided because uh, George Mason amongst I, I can't remember if the other three delegates did, but George Mason started printing a ton of information for voters and for um, just regular people to be like, hey, this is what's happening. I'm trying to get your rights covered. And uh, Madison really started to um, like the idea of having the voters' passions really kind of put into the Constitution. Mm -hmm. Um, He said, 
I believe that adding them would it would help educate the people on their rights and it would stop opponents from seeking more drastic changes to Ooh. the Constitution. Um, so in uh, let's see here, uh, the House passed the original 17 amendments and it was it was Madison who wrote the amendments. It wasn't George Mason. It was James Madison. Um, the House passed the original 17 amendments. The Senate passed 12. And then in a joint committee, uh, the House and the Senate, they settled any other kind of remaining disputes or anything. And in 1789, George Washington sent the amendments to the states. And by 1791, uh, three-fourths of the states ratified 10 of the amendments, solidifying the Bill of Rights. Wow. Okay. Um, And then number two, which is a truth, the separation of church and state. What? So the one I dismissed right away was the one that's actually a myth. No, it's true. So, yeah, you were correct on this one. So the uh-huh. separation of church and state is not in the Constitution. Okay. And so I say that because uh, basically the, the separation of church and state, and I think it was first coined by Thomas Jefferson, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, it's, a, sh- it's a, a shorthand way of saying what the Establishment Clause says in the First Amendment, mm-hmm. uh, which is Congress shall, not, shall make no law respecting an established, uh, establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Yeah, so it's kind of implied that, it's, that they would exactly. Be so it's implied, and so the founding fathers they didn't object to the use of religion in the public square. They didn't object to religious justification. They mm-hmm. objected to government control or sponsorship of religion. Now, how did they get? Like, I get going that way for like government shouldn't control religion, but how could how did they get to religion shouldn't control government? I think it, I think it kind of goes hand in hand, back and forth. Um, it's it's kind of both ways. I want to look at that more because you know there's a lot of there's a lot of argument right now. You know whether it's gay marriage or abortion rights or things like that, which which sort of you know say that because I'm this religion, I don't have to listen to this. And mm-hmm. you know, like I feel like 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 it probably is. It does go in hand in hand, but that but you do have to go through a few steps of reasoning. I need to look yeah. more into that. Well, I I think it's it's. Tough because, I mean, you look at where they're coming from, you know, the the monarchy, which I guess at mm-hmm. the time, I don't know what was the dominant religion in mm-hmm. uh, the United Kingdom or I guess Great Britain at the time. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think there's, I guess, a difference between a religion is determined like this is the religion that the crown has. Therefore, that is the law and mm-hmm. a, a body of people's. And like, you know, some senators use like, oh, hey, I'm Christian. These are my morals. I'm going to use those morals to help make my decisions or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, it but, actually always scares me when when politicians quote their religion too oh, much. I hate um, it. <laughs> I hate it's it. That, it's I, like I, I want them to not be quoting, you know, something that's thousands of years old. Like I yeah. really want them to be the most up to date with the newest information. Mm-hmm. No, I'm 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 a strong, strong believer in the harshest form of separation of church and state. Um, like, sure, if you're religious, you, you, those are you know you have your morals based off that. By all means, everyone has their morals based off something. However, I do not think religion or religious views or whatever it may be should be used to justify laws. Right. Well, because you have to remember that not everyone that you're governing is your religion and right. believes the things you do. 
And so it, it, it just, it really irritates me when I see that happen. Um, but number three, which is the myth. Okay. You totally tricked me with this one. uh, The constitution gives the Supreme court, the power to declare laws unconstitutional. That is a myth. That is not accurate. Wow. And so it was actually the, so the Supreme court, and so, you know, they created checks and balances and whatnot. And, um, the Supreme court, it was, it was a little bit more vague, I guess. So in 1789, they passed the Judiciary Act, and this kind of laid out the structure of the three court levels and what their jurisdictions were, and it declared that the Supreme Court was basically the final say on what is or is not constitutional. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was the so let's see here it says this is from uh, uscourts.gov. Um, it was the Judiciary Act of 1789 that gave the Supreme Court the jurisdiction to issue writs of men- writs of mandamus, which is uh, legal orders compelling government officials to act within accordance with the law. Uh, the first suit brought under this act was actually Marbury versus Madison in 1803. So James Madison coming in again. <laughs> um, the court declared that although the Constitution didn't give them their jurisdiction, Article four declares the Constitution the law of the land, meaning any act of Congress that is contrary to the Constitution cannot stand. So because the Judiciary Act gives the Supreme Court the jurisdiction to hand legal orders, compelling government officials to act within accordance to the law. And although the Constitution doesn't give them that power, but the Constitution does say that the Constitution is the law they then have jurisdiction to enforce the Constitution. Um, so subsequently, um, this uh, later on expanded to state laws. Um, and in 1869, with the passing of the 14th Amendment, uh, it was decided the provisions of the Bill of Rights uh, were apl- applicable to states because at the time, uh, prior to that, it was only federally, I guess, enforced. Um, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, because of that, Supreme Court had final say in all constitutionality across all levels of government. So it sounds like what you're saying is they have the ability to affirm constitutionality, but not to call something unconstitutional. Is that right? I mean, either way, they can. I mean, it's, it's depending on the case. Like they, if it, they, they are the ones who decide if something goes along the lines of the Constitution or does not go along the lines of the Constitution. Um, so if a senator or if a politician commits an act that someone says, Hey, that's unconstitutional, they can bring that to the Supreme court. And then, and only then if the Supreme court decides it is unconstitutional, then that is the decision. There is no other body of government has the power to make that decision. Um, And the person who appoints the Supreme court is the president, which is one of the main reasons why you should care who the president is. Very much so, yeah. The Supreme Court, I, the Supreme Court is so important. It's such an important body of government. Like it truly is. Every time the Supreme Court speaks, you should be listening, hundred, because it will directly affect your life immediately. Mm-hmm. I know they're going to be. Uh, I think it was just announced that they're going to be taking on a uh, an abortion case in Mississippi uh, coming up here in like December twenty twenty one or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um dating it for if anyone <laughs> listens in the future um but yeah so those are uh, my uh, two truths and a lie it's a good one for the constitution and you totally got me with that one okay so the next one is um it's related to 
Thomas Edison. Okay. Edison did invent the light bulb. Or Edison patented a record-breaking thousand-plus things. Or a dispute over the invention of the motion picture camera ended in an unsolved murder. Oh, this one's hard. I don't know anything about Thomas Edison and a murder. And that's like a emotion. Okay. What was the second one? Okay, so the, the first one is that um, Edison invented the light bulb. Second one is uh, Edison patented a record-breaking thousand-plus things. And the third one is um, a dispute over the invention of the motion picture camera ended in an unsolved murder. See, the, the, the unsolved murder one sounds like, you know, ooh, there was there was a murder that was never solved. Like that one <laughs> sounds like a myth, right? You're right. But like Th- thunder sound when I say it, right? But like Thomas said, <laughs> like he like he he discovered electricity, right? No, is that Benjamin Franklin? No, Benjamin Franklin um, discovered electricity. Right. So yeah, they yeah. had to have discovered, invented light bulbs. I guess when was Thomas Edison alive? Uh, 1700s, basically. Okay. Later 1700s. Okay, so the same time as Benjamin oh, Franklin. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm looking at a different time. Um, sorry. Uh, sorry, I said that totally wrong. Um, Edison was alive in the mid to late 1800s, okay. I believe, into the early 1900s. Excuse me. So, oh, but did he invent the light bulb? They had to have had light bulbs before then if they had electricity before then. Because what would they lose, use electricity for? <laughs> I... <laughs> we, have, we have this new discovery electricity. We don't know what the hell to do with it. <laughs> we need to bottle it up. Okay, I... Did okay? Is it a myth that he invented the light bulb? Yes. Oh no way! I got it. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, although a lot of people think Edison invented the light bulb, um, he actually didn't. Um, it was it, it, it. People had been making wires incandescents since 1761, um, and plenty of other inventors had demonstrated and even patented various versions of incandescent lights um, by 1878. Hmm. Uh, when Edison turned his attention to the problem of illumination. Um, Edison's gift here and elsewhere was not so much inventing as what he called perfecting, finding ways to make things better or cheaper or both. Um, So he actually was the one that made the first practical light bulb that was cheap enough to be put uh, in the common household. Uh, What he did was he uh, used a cheaper filament um, made out of bamboo um interesting and, uh, yeah uh and uh it was durable but inexpensive uh and the teams the team at edison's quote unquote invention factory in menlo park new jersey tested more than six thousand possible materials before finding the one that fit the bill carbonized bamboo carbonized what in the world what does it describe what carbonized bamboo is it didn't in the article no i have absolutely no idea what that means <laughs> <laughs> that is just so sounds so absurd <laughs> but you know but a lot of people think that you know he invented the whole idea of the light bulb and that just isn't true um 
The uh, the other things that were true though was Edison patented a record breaking one thousand ninety three things. Gosh dang! Um, uh, though not all of them were created, and um, not all of them worked. Right. And several of them lost him thousands of dollars. Sometimes uh, you win some, sometimes you lose some. Right. Little, yeah, I think I think it was a numbers game with him. It's the life of Thomas Edison. <laughs> um, and then the murder is actually a true thing. Really? Um, yeah. So. Um, the most nefar- nefarious story about Edison involves the invention of motion pictures. Many people regard him as the father of motion pictures. However, there is a fairly solid argument that Louis Le Prince, a French inventor, created working motion pictures before Edison. Whoever got the patents for motion picture technology would be very wealthy. In 1890, Le Prince was taking a trip to patent his invention in England and then would sail to America to exhibit and patent it. He got on a train on September 13th, 1890, and nobody ever saw him again. Wow. His, lu- his luggage vanished as well. Lee Prince's family continued with the patent quest. Unfortunately, in 1892, two years after testifying in a lawsuit against Thomas Edison, someone shot and killed the son in Fire Island, New York. Oh, my God. And investigators never caught the assailant. This is another thing that could be a great movie. Yeah, no, historical horror movies. Wow. <laughs> Could I also say that, of course, it was a French guy who probably <laughs> invented the motion picture camera. Cheese and motion pictures <laughs> and wine. And unfortunately, one of them got them killed. Yeah. yeah I think we just turned into like a true crime podcast. I know. So this, <laughs> this is our transition episode, folks. <laughs> okay. Time for my next ones. Uh, so this category is prohibition, taking away alcohol. Um, so number one, are you ready? Yeah. The true success and failure of prohibition came from tax policy. Number two, prohibition ended in 1933. Number three, women were a leading force in the fight for prohibition. Okay. Uh, the fight for uh, so women were a leading force in the fight for prohibition. I believe that's true. Um, I believe. Let's see. Gotta get my timeline right. So that would have been Depression era. I believe nineteen thirty three sounds correct. Um. So I'm going to say that the first one is a myth. That is incorrect. Is it the second one, the year? The second one. Damn. And this is a lit. I'll give it to you. This is a little bit of a trick one. Yeah. So the myth, although federal prohibition ended in 1933 with the 21st Amendment, it still allowed for prohibition at the state and local level. Oh, wow. And okay. so, so uh, uh, today... Uh, Counties that allow alcohol are considered to be wet. Uh, those prohibit the sale of alcohol are dry, and those have uh, special circumstances are mixed uh, or are mixed are moist states. Um, <laughs> and so it was like finally uh, uh, a good use for the word moist. Kansas and uh, <laughs> oh, was it? I think it was Kansas and Arkansas. Uh, they were uh, fully uh, still in prohibition until nineteen. 19- I believe it was like 1948 and 1951. Oh my gosh. And then Mississippi 
was completely prohibition until can you guess the year guess the year of when mississippi ended prohibition 1975 oh close 1966 okay a full 33 years after federal prohibition ended Um, like i wonder if it was just still on the books but no one actually followed it or if that was if there was like really like you know when it ended in the 60s there was like you know just the celebration, just like it was well, when and it ended federally. There are some counties where prohibition is still a thing today. So like, yeah. so let's see here. So uh, 33 states have laws in place to allow localities to prohibit the sale, consumption, and possession of alcohol. Uh, many of these states are in the South, and religious beliefs are often the motivation for continuing prohibition laws, which at the time of prohibition, um, it was led by mostly Protestant groups, a lot of Protestant uh uh, groups of women um, trying to ban the sale and consumption of alcohol. Um, so there are 33 states that permit localities to go dry um, and have uh, uh, specific statewide circumstances. Arkansas has 34 dry counties out of its 75, and all alcohol sales are prohibited on Sundays. Same for Texas. Yeah. Uh, I think Texas, you can't buy alcohol before like one o'clock on Sundays. Yeah, uh, New Mexico. You know, I, w- I always heard that the Sunday rule was was actually a matter of it was concerned of, of money more than morality, that they were worried that people would spend their money on alcohol and not give to the church. I I'm sure that's a way of like justifying it, maybe beyond the fact that, oh, it's Sunday. You know, we're not doing this on Sundays, <laughs> but either way, it all comes back to the church. So I don't know. Um, New Mexico is wet by default. Uh, but is dry on Sundays until noon. Uh, Laws prohibiting alcohol sales on Sundays are called blue laws. Um, Kansas, Mississippi, and Tennessee are dry states by default, uh, meaning there's no laws saying otherwise, basically. Um, And the counties must... So, yeah, the counties must specifically authorize the sale of alcohol. So because there's nothing specifically saying you can sell alcohol, they are dry by default. Wow. So that's interesting. And I, I wonder if it's just those states where there's like, eh, like if the counties want to do it, they'll do it like whatever. Um, or they- I mean, I mean it, it, it takes so much effort to to convince people that it should be legalized. Like even if it was mm-hmm. if it's just kind of like a no brainer, the fact that you're asking seems so um, like it's so strenuous to to have to be asked and approve of liquor laws right. for a lot of people. Like for me, it's like a yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, but but for a lot of people, they're like, I don't know. And they have to like weigh all the like, mm-hmm. you know, different moralities in their mind. Yeah, it's alcohol. Who cares? Um, <laughs> so the first one is true. Uh, the true success and failure of prohibition came from tax policy. Now, of course, this one does have uh, a little bit of uh, subjectivity to it, but um, nonetheless, uh, Prohibition supporters like the Anti-Saloon League uh, knew that without <laughs> yep, the Anti-Saloon League, uh, that was the, the largest uh, Prohibition organization in the country. Um, they knew that without a new moneymaker for the government, Prohibition could not be enacted. Um, it's because the alcohol industry was at the time the fifth leading industry in the country. Like wow. alcohol production was huge. It made so yeah. much money. And so until the income tax amendment was enacted, um, as much as 40 percent of t- domestic tax revenue for the government came from tax on alcohol sales. 
Wow. 40% of domestic tax revenue. So I, was, I wonder if the taxes were like extremely high on, on drinking on, on when you buy a drink. I wonder how I'm not sure. Um, Gosh, because people I, just drink a lot. <laughs> I don't know if it was on like who. Yeah, I guess I don't know how exactly the taxes on alcohol worked. Um, I, it's a shame because I took a class in college called Intoxication Nation, the history of alcohol in America. Of course um, you did. <laughs> it, was, it was an incredible history course. It was uh, taught by uh, Professor Kyle Folk. We took many field trips to local breweries and distilleries. Um, and didn't do drinking, but we did learn about their process. Um, it was a wonderful course. Uh, let me tell you, the, the role that alcohol played in the history of America is astounding. Um, That's hilarious. And so in 1913, uh, the 16th Amendment, the uh, income tax amendment was passed. It was ratified um, and it established the income tax. And it was at that moment, it was literally that day, the Anti-Saloon League went started going after their own amendment for the Constitution. Um, so 1919 comes around. Um, the 18th Amendment was ratified, prohibiting the manufacture, sale or transportation of intoxicating liquors for beverage purposes. And I, I think we talked about this in another episode where it, it wasn't the consumption of alcohol that was outlawed. Like they, they couldn't really outlaw what you ate or drank, but they could do everything in their power they could to stop you from getting alcohol. Right. You know, punishing the people selling it yeah. or distributing it or making it. So fast forward to 1929, uh, America dives headfirst into the Great Depression. It's a good time. Uh, the federal income tax revenue plummets. Uh, income collections reduced as much as 33% and wow. tax on capital gains vanished. There was nothing um, because there were from 1929 to 1933, there were no capital gains. Wow. Like there was crazy. absolutely nothing. So the country really needed money. And at this point in prohibition, people wanted alcohol. People were tired saying, people of People really needed alcohol. <laughs> a lot of people needed a drink. Uh, so the country needed money. And the uh, they were trying to look at, well, where were we getting money before the income tax? Well, from the alcohol tax. So uh, it sounds very familiar, too, with like the marijuana debate right now. Where oh, the states yeah. that are legalizing and taxing it are making, you know, millions and millions. So of much money every year. And they're like, wait, we're wait. Like, why have we been spending millions of dollars to put people in prison for marijuana? Yeah. When they're gonna do it anyway, yeah. Why don't we just have you know legalize it, and we can actually make money and improve our state mm -hmm. instead of people putting people away. Well, and that's where over time, instead of just banning it, you just create regulations to make it safer. Yeah. You know? So yeah, so they uh, brought forth the Twenty First Amendment, and it was ratified, repealing the widely unpopular Eighteenth Amendment, and <sighs> bringing uh, more meaningful revenue. And one thing too is. They bring in the 21st Amendment, and the 18th Amendment is the only amendment to be um, wiped away. Um, Interesting. It, the, so it, it was a huge job program. It created so many jobs across the country because all of a sudden you get these huge beverage companies that have been just sitting in their factories, and now all mm -hmm. of a sudden they can start mass producing again. Mm -hmm. So it, it brought in a ton of tax revenue for the government and it created thousands and thousands of jobs. And so, disappointed church ladies everywhere. Yeah. So thank you to the 21st <laughs> Amendment. 
Um, and then, yeah, the third one, uh, which was uh, women were leading force in the fight for prohibition, was absolutely true. Um, there's a lot of historians that argue that without uh, the women uh, who were fighting for prohibition, it, it would not have happened. Um, it was uh, started from the temperance movement, which really has its roots uh, earlier on, kind of in the later, uh, really kind of honestly starting back in like the 1850s and moving forward. Um, and it, it, uh, it really kind of took hold of prohibition as like it, it was a fight that they knew they could really grasp on and go after um, mm -hmm. because they they saw what alcohol, you know, they they said, you know, alcohol is ruining their families. It's, you know, ruining their kids. It's ruining them. It's, uh, you know, the husbands are losing their jobs. And it was really kind of going after what it was doing to the household. Um, and so it was the largest organization was the Women's Christian Temperance Union. Union. Uh, they also had the World Women's Christian Temperance Union uh, later on. But um, it grew to over um, a thousand chapters within five years. Wow. Like it, it, it was a huge, huge group of just. Yeah. I mean, if you get a chance, I have like it's uh, uh, alcohol problems and solutions dot org uh, prohibition the mob museum org um it they highlight so many and a lot of these women are just incredibly powerful women a lot of them I, you know don't agree with um but it's it's pretty fascinating to see what these women were able to do and they they paired it up too um with the fight for just women's rights um they they were able to kind of tag it along and it was it was a huge boost in fighting for um uh the franchisement of women and um yeah i mean although i think prohibition was a big waste and failure i think in terms of what it did for the image of women in america and what it did for women's rights and just gaining leverage within the country it it did a lot for women yeah that's an interesting perspective i've never really thought about and i th i think i have visited the mob museum that's the one in las vegas mm, is it yeah, it's it's actually a really cool museum that, you know, if you want to take a break from gambling and all the all that stuff, it's it's actually a nice a nice uh, few hour trip you can take. So go uh, go learn yourself a little bit about women during Prohibition <laughs> and other such mobs. All right, everybody, I think that's going to do it for today's episode of Persistent Myths. Uh, we will pick this up in a part two and Curtis and I will return with a handful more of these because I'm having a really good time, and I think it's super fun. So uh, until then, uh, check us out on the Facebooks. Uh, you can uh, get a hold of us at pwbnetwork at gmail.com. You can also look us up on uh, the internet. Go to our website at podcastwithoutborders.com. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you on the next episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to Social Discord, part of the Podcast Without Borders Network. You can get a hold of us by sending us an email at pwbnetwork at gmail.com. You can also check out our website at podcastwithoutborders.com. Thanks for listening.